Inspired Execution is a podcast featuring tech leaders from some of the world's largest enterprises and fastest-growing startups. Hosted by Datastax Chairman and CEO Chet Kapoor, each episode follows a leader's journey to scaling a massive business while inspiring their teams. Join us to learn about the experiences that have shaped them, challenges they've overcome, and the advice they'd give to their younger selves. Greg Sly, SVP of Platforms and Infrastructure at Verizon, is a seasoned technology leader with nearly three decades of experience driving innovation and operational efficiencies for organizations. He's been a part of Yahoo's evolution from the early days at Overture to its acquisition by Verizon in 2017. Today, Greg talks about maintaining employee morale during times of change, delivering an experience the customer wants, and learning how to listen to others. You'll also find out what he's currently reading and which three people he'd invite to a dinner party. Hey, Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chet. Really happy to be here. So you've been at Verizon for two years and before that at Yahoo. You've led product engineering and data teams. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. So it started uh, about 2002 with Overture, who was bought by Yahoo and uh, was there till around 2013 or so, then went over to Intuit for about uh, three years and been back at Yahoo ever since. And then we got uh, bought by Verizon a couple of years ago. So it's been uh, a long journey, kind of from the early days of the internet coming through. So, you know, like you said, I've held a lot of different roles, everything from the knock manager to, uh, you know, leading development teams to engineering teams. Uh, so it's, it's been an interesting course. Uh, certainly wasn't when I plotted in college, but uh, it's been an interesting journey. So what's been the biggest challenge through all these different uh, gigs you did? There's two that kind of stick out in mind. Both deal with morale. So one was the late 2000s, kind of when Google come on the scene. And, you know, before that, you know, Yahoo, we were the 800-pound gorilla search engine, right? And then Google came along and kind of dominated in that space. So we kind of had to struggle a bit for a while there on redefining what we were as a company and what, what our team was doing. Because being part of the team that invented paid search at Overture it was near and dear to our hearts, right? And then uh, being the search engine and then suddenly uh, being, you know, second place in that space was a bit of a morale blow. And we kind of had to deal through that. And then when, um, honestly, when Yahoo was purchased by Verizon, you know, we had a bit of an identity crisis there too with the team because, you know, we'd been Yahoo, we'd been this, you know, this kind of iconic brand for so long. And now we're part of a large telecom communications. But it was interesting, you know, Verizon was going through a transformation too to be an engineering company. So both of those points of time were were different, but the same in that it was kind of dealing with, you know, keeping the team focused. We're focusing on morale, trying to, you know, lead them through to how are we going to get back on track with some of the stuff and, and maintain our identity as, a, as an internet company. That must have been hard, right? It was an ego blow for sure. <laughs> it was an ego blow. <laughs> yeah. Top of the game. Google comes in 2004, goes public, and then Yahoo gets settled into uh, telco. I'm sure there are a lot of engineers that went through like, oh my God, what is happening to all the hard work we did? Yeah. And I guess the problem was, or the challenge was, it was unclear what our destiny was going to be and that that everyone assumed the glass was half empty. So rather than than coming out of some of these with like, you know, redefining ourselves both, you know, when Google showed on the horizon and when Verizon showed up, you know, immediately everybody went, to, we're going to lose our identity. We're not going to be who we are. And it turned out 
Well, of course, you know, leadership was smart enough to kind of go, we want to invest in, in those assets that we've bought, but also we want to keep those brands that are iconic out there. So I think uh, for me personally, where we could have done a better job was reinforcing the trust or the demonstration of what we'd seen in leadership up to then of, you know, they're not going to throw away, you know, an asset this large. And that's not going to suddenly be rebranded as something new. Um, and it was, you know, have a little bit of faith in leadership. And, and, you know, there's some smart people in the room that are figuring out where we're going with this and, and have some trust in it. So I think that was a learning point both times for me of, you know, trust that there's a plan here and be part of the plan. Just don't sit back and kind of wait for somebody to tell you what to do, but continue on the journey that we were on and just, you know, be part of the solution and not sit back waiting for someone else telling you what to do. That's a great way to look at it, right? And something that I think you, all the folks you coached, everybody will take away from that, from both of those events, right? Google as well as Verizon. So the very first line on your LinkedIn bio section says it's about protecting the customer experience. We talk a lot about obsessing over users, enterprises and users. What does obsessing over users mean to you? Well, I think that's really what it's all about, right? Um, sure, there's a, there's a percentage of it there of being innovative, inventing new and interesting things. But that's really all in service to the customer ex experience or being obsessed about the customer experience. You know, and that could be anything from how to reduce the number of clicks it takes to do something. What's the latency? One of the things we had years ago was our landing page was getting slow because we just overloaded it, right, with, with too many things on it. So how do you make that a fast, you know, clean experience? How do you service customers, giving them, you know, what they need rather than what you think they need? And that was some turning points in our journey as well, right, of, of uh, listening more to our customers. And that's kind of one of the things when I was at Intuit that Brad Smith, you know, uh, is really well known for is, you know, you meet with your customers on a regular basis. In fact, he used to have us go down every quarter and sit on the in the call center and listen to customer inquiries coming in and customer complaints coming in to see what we could do. So it's all about not what your engineering teams think your customers need, but more about what we're hearing from our customers and what the customers need. And that's both internal as your employees, because as with my, you know, uh, part of my responsibility is the internal experience for, uh, for Verizon, but also the external experience on the web, our CDN, you know, latency. And with so much going on now with uh, we're doing on our phones and tablets, you know, it's all for me, the biggest area for me has been focusing on how do we provide a network and latency that's reliable, dependable and fast because, you know, uh, the days of, you know, waiting for things to load uh, when we're on dial up modems, you know, that's. That's a thing of the past anymore. You know, it's really interesting. Um, I want to talk about data centers in a second, uh, Greg, but one of the things I do, uh, I talk a lot about is opinions are inside the building and facts are outside. Basically, obsessing about users is not getting our point of view on what they want, but getting their point of view on what they want. And that's exactly what you just said. I think that's uh, super insightful. And you know, it's, it's interesting is that a lot of people forget the simple fact of, you may have a point of view or an opinion, but make sure that you validate and get the facts from people who are going to use it because you, you can try to walk in their shoes, but you need to talk to them as well. Agreed completely. And, and it's really, it sounds simple, but it's a little harder to do. And then the other trap you can fall into is always go back to the exact same people. Don't ask them for their opinion all the time. And we found that you continually have to change, you know, your, your customers that you're uh, speaking to 
sure, you have your large ones that you know are very, very important to the company. But we found if you continually change the uh, uh, the makeup, the diversity, and who you're talking to, you know, you'll find themes, but you won't always get the well. Great, you fixed the three things I cared about, and then suddenly you're you know you're sitting on your laurels thinking we've solved all the problems. So um, that was another lesson we learned as well as you know continually um, change your data input points to get different opinions and, and different outlooks. A lot of folks who use apps today think that it's about the app, right? As they should, because that's the tip of the arrow. But behind that is the CDN, the data centers, all the infrastructure that loads pages faster, that, you know, then just makes everything go really, really well. You built some of the most efficient data centers in the industry. How did you achieve this? What was your approach? Well, I can't take too much credit here other than maybe listening, but there was a brilliant woman engineer we had, Christina Page, who came up with the whole idea of you know building data centers without chillers or without air conditioning in them. And what she did was she studied how anthills are built in the desert and cooling, and she looked at chicken coops. And we affectionately call them the, the Yahoo chicken coops now. So what they did was, you know, in order to be a greener, carbon-friendly you know, data centers, the long and short of it is we basically took the servers, turned them around the other way, and had the air blowing into a hot center that goes up through the top. And if you've ever seen a chicken coop, it has a cupola at the top, and we just circulate air through that. So we run our data centers at 80, 85 degrees, as opposed to the traditional, which is, you know, in the in the 60s somewhere with all these chillers. But, you know, it's it's reduced the cost of operating data centers by about 75%. By not having to uh, to run chillers and stuff, so even in the hottest days in the summer, you know we have uh, water that runs along the outside uh, of the walls and goes through these fiber cells, and then we, if we need to, we can turn on some fans and blow cooler air on it. But there's usually only a very small number of weeks in the year that we actually have to do that. So it was really, you know, th- this amazing uh, woman, Christina Page, who come up with an idea, wouldn't say no went to uh, Lori Mann and David Philo at the time and a few others uh, with it. And, you know, we went with her and she had this idea and just, you know, just through sheer will and determination, she made people listen. And then once we started to listen, we started to learn. And, you know, then we, we built these kind of revolutionary, very innovative data centers that are being, you know, now copied by several other companies around the world. So it, it really just boiled down to be open to where ideas will come from and just, you know, listen listen to people who have these kind of really kind of off the wall ideas. Cause back then say, we're going to build a data center and we're going to build it with no chillers was just like, it'll never work. There's one way to build a data center and you do it this way. You know, we've been doing it that way since the fifties, just keep going. And so it's, uh, and I think that's applied across everything. And uh, you know, how our application developments happened, how our innovations happened. It's like, you know, starting to listen to, to uh, sources that, um, you know, you maybe had discounted because they weren't the leadership before. And, and now listening from the ground up has really started to change things. For sure. Right. I mean, I, and one of the things that you would agree with is innovation happens everywhere. Your inspiration for the innovation doesn't have to come from just computer science as you've talked about the data center stuff, it can come from many different things that you encounter in life, right? That's the thing that I find really interesting as technology has become mainstream in our lives, right? The inspiration for innovating in our world comes from all these different places. And it doesn't have to just be user innovation, right? Because at the end of the day, a data center innovation 
actually shows up in the user's world. Absolutely. And I think to what you're saying, Chet, it even expands, you know, outside of, of this space. Cause you know, one, one of the things I've tried to advocate in my team is feel free to steal someone else's idea, but absolutely give them credit for it. Right? Like everything doesn't have to be built here or invented here. If you see someone else has got a great idea, acknowledge the idea, but maybe you can, you know, iterate on it as well. So it doesn't always have to be some, some brand new thing that you've just, just thought up. Right. But I think we've all heard inspirational speakers out there. We've met people that have come up with innovative ideas and they go, wow, I wish we would have thought of that first. And it's like, well, you know, when, when a certain person wanted to put a thousand songs in our pocket, right? No one had that, thought of that before, but look where it's gone since, right? Uh, with, what, uh, with what Jobs started. So, When you and I have spoken about leadership, I can reflect back to our first conversation when we were... We were both having a blast talking about our past and our experiences and how we approach leadership. You are very keen on talking about, you know, leadership being a successful blend of analytic rigor and human empathy. Tell us a little bit more about that. You know, to be honest, I think it's the second half of my career. I've learned more about the empathy and that's still a journey I'm on. And I think the, the needle changes a little bit as you kind of go through manager, senior manager, director, VP, SVP, right? You know, at, at one point, you're, you're much more driven on kind of the analytics and, you know, OKRs and SLAs or whatever you've got. But also as, as it comes up, you know, you're looking at your, uh, your budgets, you're looking at all of the data endpoints you get about pulse surveys or, or data you're getting from your customers or from your end users. Uh, and then how do you layer that on with what is your employee's experience? What is your customer's experience? You know, it can't be all in chase of just driving, you know, the last 10 cents or the last penny out of every everything we do, right? It's got to be a work-life balance in there, but there's also got to be a, you know, what's right for our customers. But I think mostly in the pandemic has kind of taught us this, you know, uh, quite a bit, or at least me personally, we've we've moved a lot in this last year around, you know, listening to our employees and listening to our customers more about, you know, what they really want, what we were talking about before, because we still kind of leveraged a bit on, you know, engineers being influential in what our designs were. But as far as leading with employees now, it's really been getting to know them more because, you know, I've had to switch now, you know, we can't fly around the country as much and do town halls, but I'm doing like, you know, eight to 10, 12 skip levels a week and getting to know people and, and getting to know what they're going through and how work is affecting them and stuff has been really interesting on how we've adjusted uh, how we manage work through our agile processes, how we interact with each other has changed. So I think, you know, for me personally, over the last 10 years, probably the human empathy part has got to be a a greater piece of it than it was in the past. But it is a balance between, you know, providing value for our shareholders, but also providing, you know, feedback or providing value for society, but also kind of balancing it with, you know, these are these are real people that we work with and the things we do affect their lives. So it's a it's a constant adjustment, but it's been a really interesting journey for sure. So especially, as you said, over the last year. Greg, have you found that over-rotating on either um, is problematic, right? If you over-rotate on empathy and you don't have an analytical approach, or if you 
do too much of data driven stuff and don't have empathy do you find do you find that over rotating on either one of them is not the right thing to do you really do have to get a balance yes absolutely um because you know if i find if you go too much with data driven i end up i've seen for my own experiences of you end up driving the team almost too hard because you're so focused on uh delivery dates and yes we have commitments and you have delivery dates but you can get into like everybody needs to work an 80 hour week to to try to get the work done the other side you can kind of go do whatever you want uh we want everybody to be happy at work you can't get things moving people don't show up to meetings because they have something else that they want to do or need to do so I find if i went either way you either started to alienate the team by just becoming a taskmaster by just kind of doing everything through analytics metrics whatever and then if I swung the pendulum too far the other way, things were just not getting delivered on time or as with quality because we were like, you know, not trying to inconvenience anybody, right? So there is a fine balance there of getting shareholder value, what the company needs to get done, but also everyone having some work-life balance. And, uh, you know, I've had, I've had years where I was doing 80, 100-hour weeks for two, three years at a time, right? And you kind of realize that was not the way to go either. So I think it's it's constantly adjusting depending on the circumstances. Obviously, with the pandemic that's been going on, we've been leveraging a little bit more on the human empathy side of things. So it'll be interesting to see as we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel, uh, how that pendulum adjusts in the next year, right? To continue to focus on um, what we need to deliver, but also how do we operate completely differently than we ever have before. So I'm going to ask you four questions. Uh, these are rapid-fire, quick-response uh, questions. So um, let's get started. Uh, what new technology are you most excited about? Well, I think I'd have to say 5G being at Verizon, but there's just so many things that's opened up now on the medical side and sports side, and it's it's going to be really interesting, 5G, what we can do with it. What are you reading or listening to right now? Personally, for fun, there's a, a book series by John Conroe that I'm listening to as well. But on the work side, it's uh, Nonviolent Communication, the Marshall Rosenberg's uh, book. If you have a dinner party with only three other people, who's on your invite list? Only three is difficult to do, but I think Elon Musk is one, just because he's such an interesting, disrupting character. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, just an iconic uh, person in our history. And uh, Amina Mohammed, who's the current uh, Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, would love to spend some more time with her. She's an amazing, amazing person. I got to listen to her speak at one of the United Nations dinners uh, that Hans Vestberg, you know, took a few of us to. You really walk away from it going like, I don't do enough for the world, right? Like she, she <laughs> just, she sets the bar so high, you walk it with your head hung going like, I could do so much better than I do today. So my other three dinner party would be my three of my daughters that I haven't had to get to see much in the last year. So, so that's the other the other dinner party. So for sure. By the way, that that goes without saying, right? I mean, those are the best. Um, what's one word or phrase that defines a good leader? Um, inspirational, and for inspirational, I think that means they could be a great listener. They could inspire great trust, or they could just inspire. Uh, you know, you, like we just talked about, Amina, she's one who just inspires you to be a better person. So I think inspirational in, in the many dimensions that that covers. Who inspires you and what inspires you? Right now, it's, um, I think, as for leadership, it's Brad Smith, who's the the chairman of Intuit, and, and Hans Vestberg. And I know that sounds a little bit like, you know, he's the boss, and I'm kind of, you know, stating that, but I've actually spent a little bit of time with Hans and the work he does with the, the UN and stuff. And how he's responded to the many social issues that have gone over the last uh, the last year. Um, 
I think he's probably one of the best uh, best leaders that's out there right now of how he's uh, led led us the company through this. But also, you know, his heart's on his sleeve. He's such an authentic person. It's uh, you know, he can he can lead a hundred and fifty thousand person company, but do it with a lot of humanity. So it's, uh, it's amazing to to see and watch. And what inspires you? I guess it's the millennial generation right now. We're actually starting to see some change in how people treat each other, how we interact with each other as a society. And it's really starting to see some of these movements maybe actually affecting change. So, um, you know, uh, growing up through the 60s and 70s, you know, we saw some change and some revolution back then. It seemed to have got quieter in the 80s and 90s and less, but it seems like the new generation is is going to move us forward to do better about the planet, do better about ourselves. So it's it's really inspirational to see what the youth are doing right now. Totally agree, right? And they have a point of view and it's not, you know, it's deeply thought through and they're sticking to it, right? And that's the interesting part, right? Just watching them do what they do. And um, it is it is super inspirational to watch the, the new generation doing all these great things. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be a better place for my kids. I have three uh, biological daughters and kind of three daughters that we've we've absorbed into our family and just hoping that, you know, for these six girls, life's better for them going forward and my, and my son, so. Great, great. So what advice would you give a younger version of yourself? Well, beyond buy Apple stock when it come out, um, that would have been nice to do. But um, I think it would have been listen because uh, you know to be honest you know when I when I started my management career I kind of thought I knew everything I you know sure I took so a few classes read a few books here and there but didn't really spend the time learning about myself but I was a little bit of one of those managers of like you know I'll tell you what to do is a little too commanding control you know I was this I wasn't quite the smartest person in the room because we had some really really smart people inventing technology but I felt I was the smartest manager in the room and kind of, uh, you know, led a little bit with, I'll tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. And it didn't take me long to get disabused of that, but it would have been nicer to learn to stop talking and listen to the people in the room uh, much earlier in my career. I think it would, have, uh, it would have served me well. Very sound advice. And I think all of us could use it, not just a younger version of yourself. Uh, Greg, this has been awesome. Thank you uh, very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, Chet. Look forward to when we can get together in person and uh, and have some dinner and catch up some more. All right. Thank you. If there's one thing we take away from today's episode, it's that listening is at the core of successful leadership. To keep your team motivated, you have to balance analytic rigor with human empathy. To deliver the best customer experience, you have to listen to what your customers need. And to find innovative solutions, you have to welcome new ideas, no matter how extraordinary they seem. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Inspired Execution Podcast, hosted by Chairman and CEO of Datastax, Chet Kapoor. We have many more guests and amazing stories to come, so stay tuned. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the series to be notified when a new episode is released. And for Apple Podcast listeners, please rate and review the show to help give it a wider reach to listeners such as yourself. And feel free to drop us any questions or feedback at inspiredexecution at datastax.com.